0: From Hollywood, the Hollywood Radio Theater. Starring June Allison in The Girl in White with Steve Forrest. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Irving Cummings.
1: Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Nowadays, we accept women in almost any type of profession. But around the turn of the century, the woman doctor was still an object of ridicule and contempt. Prejudice kept her from necessary training, and sometimes it even kept her from romance, as we shall see in tonight's play, The Girl in White, starring June Allison in her original role in this absorbing drama for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Now, The Girl in White, Starring June Ellison as Emily Dunning, with Steve Forrest as Ben Barringer.
2: It's early in the 1900s, as yet I had not met Emily Dunning, but her story, as I was later to discover, had its real beginning that afternoon when she called on her friend Marie Yeomans, a lady doctor.
3: Emily, I'm
4: afraid you're as healthy a specimen as I ever examined. Your heart's a trifle fast, but that's just the excitement. Well, my goodness, Jody, who wouldn't be excited? (laughs) All my life I've wanted to see Europe, but I never had a rich aunt to pay the expenses. I envy you. You needn't. I'm not going. Not going? But it was all settled. Yes, without anyone asking me. Emily, you're a born nonconformist. Your family only wants to give you an opportunity... To marry any eligible male. There are worse fates, you know. Well, I'm not going to get married. I'm going to be a doctor. I want to be like you. But we've talked this over so many times. Now, I know. Well, this time it isn't talk. I've applied at Cornell. That's why I wanted this checkup. Your mother know about it? Uh Uh-uh. Not yet. Where are you going to get the money? Father's insurance. There's enough left to put me through. You really mean it? Yes, I do, Yodi. You did it, and you're a doctor. I'm not so sure I'd be a doctor if I had to start all over again. You go through college, through medical school. The others become interns, but you don't get that training because the city hospitals won't take a woman. To the medical profession and the public, you're nothing more than a glorified midwife privileged to write M.D. after your name. But look what you've done. Yes, look. Up to my ears in bigotry and prejudice... You forget the first time you came to this office. You almost ran away when you saw me. Oh, Yodi, that was... Only... Your mother was sick. You couldn't find any else, anyone else, so you had to accept me. But there isn't a doctor in New York who could have done any better. Do you know if it weren't That's a... not the point. The point is that the ailing public won't permit a woman to help them. No, Emily. Medicine is a man's world. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's a man's world. And I don't think you do either. What am I going to do with you? You're going to help me get into Cornell. Oh, please, you will help me, won't you, Yodi? <sighs> help you? I'll burn the place down if they don't take you. <laughs> I guess I know a friend when I've got one.
2: And so Emily went to Cornell. No one took her very seriously, of course. But as long as their grades were good, there wasn't much they could do about it.
5: So we discovered that the skeleton in the human adult consists of 206 named bones. There are, however... Mr. Bellinger. Oh, uh, yes, Professor. I'll take that paper, if you don't mind. Uh, oh, it's, uh, really nothing, sir. Just, a, a few notes. I'm sure you won't mind if we all share them. Ah, uh, yes, there was a young medic named Dunning Whose way with the scalpel was cunning When she whittled a gizzard from its a to its izzard It looked up and said, gosh, you're stunning
3: <laughs> <laughs>
5: Splendid, Berringer. You should transfer to literature Sorry, sir Perhaps the subject of this charming verse Would care to say a few words
4: Oh, no No, no, thank you, Professor
5: But I wish you to, Miss Dunning Well, take the pointer and describe the skeleton
4: Yes, sir Frontal, parietal, temporal, mandible, maxilla, nasal, the acromion, coracoid, glenoid cavity.
5: Mr. Beringer
2: seems unhappy. I uh, hate to contradict the lady, sir, but it's called the coracoid process.
4: Coracoid process. Bicipital groove, humerus, coronoid fossa. Mr. Beringer,
2: she skipped the deltoid tuberosity.
4: Thank you. Deltoid tuberosity. Um, uh, 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 Humerus, coronoid fossa. First
2: radial fossa.
4: Oh, radial passer Mr. Barringer is just trying to heckle me As for the bones of the skeleton, I know them backwards
5: Try learning them frontwards, Miss Dunning, it may help
4: <laughs> Yes, sir
5: As I've said many times before, I don't know what you're doing here But since you are here, you will neither distract, dream, or discompose But or I... Or interrupt Do we understand each other, Miss Dunning?
4: Yes, sir Thank you, sir
2: But Emily survived They even came to accept her Faculty and students alike And that one student in particular Ben Barringer Ben and Emily saw a lot of each other And at the end of their senior year At a dance Five more days And you'll be Emily Dunning, Bachelor of Science You're going to miss me?
4: How can I tell when you're still here? Want to dance? Oh, no, not especially.
2: Good. We'll sit out here then. Uh, Your wrist, please.
4: My wrist? Oh, the bones of the hand are divided into three parts the carpus or wrist bones, the metacarpus or bones of the palm, and the phalanges or bones of the digits. The carpal bones are eight in number, namely. Quiet,
2: please. I'm taking a pulse. Hmm. It's very interesting.
4: One of the things I've wanted most in my life is to have an interesting pulse.
2: I'm now going to try a practical experiment. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and attempt to deduce from your answers by pulse acceleration.
4: I'm always intrigued by research, doctor.
2: Now then, have you ever been in prison? You ever burned down an orphanage? Hmm. Well, so far, you're obviously innocent.
4: No more questions?
2: Just one. One. Only there's a million ways to ask it and I've only thought of a couple of thousand. Em, your pulse is starting to accelerate. Is it, Ben? Will you marry me, Emily?
4: You mean now?
2: Now? Well, that might be rushing it a little. After all, we have to tell our families and get a ring and find a minister. it will take at least 24 hours.
4: Oh, Ben, be serious.
2: Oh, do you think I'm serious?
4: But we have years of study ahead of us. You'll be at Harvard, and I'll be in New York. What kind of a marriage would that be?
2: In a well-organized family, don't you think that one doctor's enough?
4: The one thing I want more than anything in the world is to be a doctor. You should understand that, Ben. You feel the same way.
2: I'm a man, naturally.
4: Well, what am I supposed to do? Throw away all the work I've done? Give up whatever ambitions I might have had?
2: Would marrying me be such a sacrifice?
4: Oh, no, Ben, that's not what I mean. It's.
2: Do you think I want to work all day and come home and find my wife's out on a house call?
4: You just won't admit a woman can be a doctor.
2: It's too tough, Emily. You'll never make it. You can't break down the barriers.
4: Oh, I can't, can't I? Well, you just wait. I'll show you.
2: No, you won't, because I won't be here.
6: Uh, Don't forgive me for intruding, but is this dance free, Emily? I
2: mean, it isn't yours or anything, is it, Ben? No. As of right now, Emily's perfectly free. So Ben went to Harvard and Emily to New York, the Cornell College of Medicine. Her family had moved to Cleveland, and Emily went to live with Dr. Yeoman.
3: Two o'clock,
4: Emily. Go to bed. How can I? The finals are next week. By now, you should know the answers better than your professors do. And what are you doing with my stethoscope? I'm listening to my heart, trying to locate the valves. Well, there are three important ones. Aortic, mitral, and pulmonic. I know that. Oh, where? Listen to my heart, and I'll help you. Oh, fine, thanks, Jerry. Well, I'm, I'm listening. Aortic. You can't mistake them. There are certain positive sounds. Yes. Yes, I know. What's the matter with you, Jody, Your, your heart. It it doesn't sound normal. Oh, it isn't normal. I have a mitral stenosis. Well. What's it sound like? Well, there's a sort of a rumbling, dystolic murmur. Yody, how long have you had it? Years. Oh, don't look so woebegone. I can live to be a hundred. You shouldn't be working so hard. You shouldn't be working at all. That's pure rubbish. Work is the most important thing in my life. And if this lamp isn't out in five minutes, I'm going to whale the tar out of you. Now get to bed. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yodi? Well, I'm back. Well? My record is now 100%. I have now been turned down by every city hospital in New York. You are right, Yodi. My diploma is nothing but a piece of paper on the wall. Don't be so tragic. I am not being tragic. We'll find a way. Well, what's the sense of taking competitive examinations if they won't let me compete? Do you know that I answered every question right? Well, almost everyone. So you're licked, huh? Who's licked? I'll just have to see more people and pull more strings. Here, look at this. He didn't even have the courage to see me. The nurse just handed me a note. <laughs> Seth Pauling, medical director, Governor Hospital. I won't stand for it, Yodi. I'm going back. I'll see that Dr. Pauling and I'll tell him exactly what I think of him. On Thursday
2: afternoons, I had office appointments at the hospital, which accounts for my meeting with a very angry
4: young lady. I'm Dunning, Dr. Pauling. Dr. Emily Dunning. Oh, yes. I'm sorry I had to use this maneuver, pretending to be a patient. But you refused my request for an interview.
2: Yes, yes, I did. I could see no purpose in our meeting. You realize, of course, that I'm responsible for your failing to get an appointment only at Governor.
4: I was in the first third all the way through medical school. Do you think it's fair to deny me a chance to make use of what I've learned?
2: I'm afraid I do.
4: Oh, you do?
2: For 3,000 years, medicine has restricted women to midwifery. Have you ever stopped to consider why?
4: Yes. Fear of competition. Mm,
2: Perhaps, but there are other reasons. Sheer biology, special considerations that have to be allowed for. Medicine is a profession based on science, and women have a tendency to confuse emotions with facts. Or our hospital happens to be dependent upon public funds. And the patients are neither pioneering nor progressive. They just want to get well.
4: And you think they wouldn't?
2: We can't take the risks.
4: I shall be glad to pay for this consultation.
2: No, there's no charge. Just one personal observation. I think you're far too young and attractive to follow a profession as great. And
4: I think you're far too intolerant and bigoted to be a judge of that. Thank you, doctor, for your time.
2: But neither Dr. Dunning nor I had reckoned with her friend, Dr. Yeomans. It was Dr. Yeomans who saw the commissioner of city hospital.
4: Out of 286 applicants, Commissioner, Dr. Dunning ranked third.
6: Third? Hmm. My goodness.
4: A good many young men who finished far below her already have received appointments.
6: Oh, oh this, uh, uh, this is awkward, Dr. Yeomans. Uh, most, mo- most awkward.
4: I yes. know it is, Commissioner. And I've been thinking about your position. Why, if the newspapers were to hear about this... this gross injustice... Oh, yes,
6: yes newspapers, yes, 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 indeed. Uh, but uh, the the problems involved, Doctor, the uh, uh, working with men at all hours of the night, uh, uh, do you think Miss Dunning... Doctor uh... Dunning. Uh, doctor, Doctor, Doctor Dunning, yes, Doctor, uh, is capable of such an undertaking?
4: Of course she's capable.
6: Oh, dear, dear... Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, the the appointments are all filled.
4: In the spring, then?
6: Yes, yes, uh, yes, in the spring. Uh, That is, I'll try. Uh, uh, At any rate, I'll, I'll
4: try. Thank you, Commissioner.
3: I knew you would. The
2: following May, Emily Dunning received her appointment. She was assigned to my staff, the first woman intern in a New York hospital. The newspapers had a field day.
4: So if there's nothing else, Dr. Pauling, I'll see about my living quarters.
2: Oh, but there is something else, Dr. Dunning. I want you to know how I feel about this. I'm still not entirely certain just how all this was managed, your being here. But I received orders, and orders have to be followed. Yes, sir. You can consider yourself a very distinguished person. You should keep a scrapbook of your press clippings along with the case histories of your patients.
4: I assure you, I had nothing to do with that newspaper publicity.
2: What the papers failed to indicate is that your appointment here is purely experimental. Yes, sir. During your first year as an intern, you'll be required to do a great deal of ambulance riding. Dresses weren't exactly designed for this sort of work, or high heels for lugging one end of a stretcher down a fire ladder.
4: I've had a special uniform made.
2: Lindsay's waiting for you in the hall. She's our head nurse. She'll
4: show you to your room. Thank you, Dr. Pauling.
3: Well, this is it, Doctor.
4: Sorry, but it's the only room left. It will do very nicely, Lindsay. Thank you. Be a little more homey with a few pictures and knick-knacks. Oh, you won't be needing this, will you? What's that? Dr. Albert's razor strop. Oh, the uh, bath across the hall. Across the hall? All the interns use it. Makes for quite a scramble in the morning. All the interns? Oh, yes. They all sleep on this floor. But, but that's improper. Um, where do the nurses... Two blocks down and across the street. Oh. You'll have to be prepared for a few difficulties, Doctor. Yes, I, I suppose I will. Dr. Graham will assign you to duty, and uh, dinner's at five. Thank you. <laughs>
2: She reported for duty half an hour later. She was assigned to the dispensary, and waiting there was another surprise.
4: I'm Dr. Dunning. Dr. Graham told Hello, me... Hello, Ben! I had no idea you were here.
2: I knew about you, of course, splashing yourself all over the newspapers. Well, Em, you certainly showed me just as you said you would.
4: Oh, I'm awfully glad to see you, Ben.
2: You could use a friend, is that it?
4: Oh, dear, do I even look scared? Tell me... What do the others think about me?
2: You really want to know? Yes, I do. See this envelope? Inside, there's a petition.
4: To have me removed?
2: Yes, but it never got past Pauling. He's pretty explicit about it.
4: Pauling? But you know, Pauling doesn't like me either.
2: He's not thinking about you, Emily. It's the hospital. He says the petition would only bring bad publicity to Gouverneur. Well, i better get you started.
4: Yes, I guess you'd better.
2: You'll have a little office across the hall. You'll work here two days a week. Outpatients. You'll get them three in a batch.
4: What about the other doctors? You know, I've only met. You'll meet
2: them all at dinner. It may be rough, Anne. You all right?
4: Oh yes, I'm all right.
6: Good. Let's go. We all eat at this table, Dr. Dunning. You can sit wherever you like.
4: Thank you, Dr. Schneider. Yes,
6: for the rest of us, Dr. Dunning, this is Dr. Wilson.
4: How do you do? How do Dr. You Dr. Do? Williams. How do you do? Dr. Bleacher. How do
3: you do? Dr. Barkley. How
2: do you do? You've Hello. already met our supervising physician, Dr. Graham. I meant to ask you before, Dr. Dunning, how's the suffragette movement these days?
4: Oh, well, I, I haven't really given it a great deal of thought.
2: Oh? I imagine you'd be quite active in it. Uh,
4: where do you come from, Doctor?
2: Yes, I expect you must find New York very confusing.
4: I was born here, Dr. Graham.
2: Dr. Graham hails from Indian Springs, Oklahoma.
4: Now, where have I
6: seen this liver before? Is this the surgery special? Oh, careful,
2: Schneider. You'll turn our delicate tummies.
6: Well, the coffee will quiet them down. They
2: put chloroform in it. The food here is a major calamity, Dr. Dunning. Well, perhaps Dr. Dunning gave one of her newspaper friends to start a campaign. Oh, by the way, doctor, you're on an ambulance call tomorrow. You start at 6 a.m.,
4: but I thought you told me I'd have it tomorrow morning,
2: we... six am
4: oh. Emily? Yes.
2: I guess no one said this to you yet.
4: Said what?
2: Welcome to Gouverneur.
4: Thank you.
0: In just a moment, we will continue with Act Two of the Hollywood Radio Theater. Make a friend, and you make an ally. There's a thought for you to keep in mind, as many another American has, like Leonard LaRue. On December 22, 1950, Hungnam, Korea was a dying city, and it wouldn't be long before the communist hordes would come down from the hills to wipe out what civilians were left. In the harbor lay an American freighter, the SS Meredith Victory captained by 37-year-old Leonard LaRue. He was free to pull out any time he wished, but when American army officers asked him to help evacuate some of the natives, he couldn't refuse. Ordinarily, the freighter had room for only 12 passengers in addition to her 46-man crew. Captain LaRue ignored that fact when he told his first mate to start loading Koreans aboard and let him know when the count reached 10,000. But he couldn't stop there. When he finally pulled out for Pusan, there were 10,200 people aboard. At Pusan, he found the city choked with more than a million refugees, so he had to sail on. It wasn't until December 26th that he landed his passengers at Cujeto. Those people will never forget Captain LaRue, and he will never forget the look of gratitude on their faces. He'd prove to himself that by helping others, you help your country. Now our producer, Mr. Cummings.
1: Act two of The Girl in White, starring June Ellison as Emily Dunning, with Steve Forrest as Ben Barringer.
2: Ambulance duty meant anything, from twins to a three-alarm fire to a train wreck. The ambulance was one horse wagon with a veteran driver named Alec. One of Emily Dunning's first calls was down at the waterfront. A dock accident on Pier 14.
7: Hang on, Doc. We'll be there in a minute. What kind of a case? I'm not sure, Doc. Some sailor went a tugboat, had a nasty fall or something. Oh, well, for heaven's sake, be careful. Do you have to drive this way? Gotta make time, Doc. Don't worry. I haven't lost an entertain yet. Come on, Jim. Come on, boy.
5: Got a busted arm or something? You a doctor? Me? Uh-uh. Well, where is the doctor? Right here. This lady is a doctor. Lady doctor, get off of this tugboat!
4: You sent for an ambulance? I
5: sure did, but I ain't gonna sue let sue you. the
4: city of New York. Meantime, get out of my way. Last two we brought in our second degree burns You'd better call Dr. Schneider You've had quite a night, Dr. Dunning Get some rest All right, all right, good night, Lindsay
7: Uh, Say, Doc, could I talk to you for just a minute before you go off? Sure, Alec Out in the ambulance shed, huh? Oh, and you better bring your
4: bag What's the matter? Sick horse? No, the horse is fine But I got something I want to show you All right, Alec, what is it?
7: Well, uh, you're doing pretty good, Doc. I've been watching you. Uh, look, do you mind if I give you a couple of pointers? No, no, not at all. Well, now, this has been a pretty light day. Light?
4: 21 ambulance calls?
7: Oh, oh. Well Well, things really start popping. Now, look, the main thing you've got to remember is speed, because sometimes a minute can mean life or death. Now look. When you get a call, you come running into the shed here. Well, you got to get up on the wagon fast. See, look. I'll show you what I mean.
4: But I do. I jump on the step and I climb in. Hey, and...
7: yeah. But now what? Uh, watch, watch, watch. See, bag. You grab in your left hand. You grab the stop in your right hand. Now, bag. Grab one. Jump two. Step three. Sit four. Swing five. Six. Hang on. There. You see what I mean? Uh,
4: yes. But there's only one thing you overlook. Huh? I'm wearing skirts.
7: Oh yeah. Well, all right, got to try it anyway. All right, you ready?
4: Yeah, I'm ready. Now
7: go. Left hand, bag, grab one. Jump two, step three, sit four,
4: swing five, six, hang on. Well? Well, you're, you're trying too hard, Doc. Oh, well, it's that swing five business. Um, does, does my petticoat show Of one?
7: course it shows. Mm. Go ahead, now try it again. Okay. Yeah, all right, now, nice and easy now. Yeah. One step, two jump, Three-step, four-sit, five-swing, and six-you hang on. Hey, that's more like it.
4: Who's doing that? Ah,
7: don't pay any attention to them, Doc. Just the other interns up there in the third-floor window. Ignore them.
4: Thank you, Alec. Um, by the way, you're awfully nice. Oh,
7: sure, sure I am. My horse loves me. All right, now, once again...
4: Oh, oh, well, good, good evening, Dr. Pauling.
2: Dr. Dunning, this is the surgery room. May I ask what you're doing here?
4: Oh, well, yes. Uh, that is, I, I I was just looking for a pair of uh, scissors. What for? Oh, well, my petticoat. You see, it shows This is lo- an
2: operating room, not a notions counter.
4: But all I was trying Good
2: night, Dr.
4: Dunning. You all right? Lindsay? Yes. What's the matter with Pauling? Oh, I've never been so embarrassed. I only wanted to cut off a little bit of my petticoat. He treated me like a half-wit. Give me the scissors. Sit down and I'll do it. All right, well, we'll just do the bottom ruffle. You see, when I climb in the ambulance, What's he doing here anyway in the middle of the night? Middle of the night? That's nothing. You're liable to find him here any time. But he's been getting worse ever since it happened. Since what happened? The divorce. Oh! <gasps> Divorce? No, it was a regular bombshell. Everybody thought it was a perfect marriage. There, how's the petticoat? It's fine, Lindsay, but why? I mean, Dr. Pauling's divorce. Who knows? Oh, there were millions of stories. Funny how people just adore other people's troubles. (laughs) Well, good night, Dr. Dunning. Good night, Lindsay. And thanks again. i i saw the light in here and i why aren't you getting some sleep it's a conspiracy something's always stopping me from reaching the third floor what are you doing in the lab
2: oh playing with the guinea pigs it's not an assignment just something on my own
4: two groups of cages huh
2: that's right half a minus half a plus
4: Mm. the pluses don't look so good
2: they've got cancer you see this it's radium the hospital got it last month they've been working with it in paris but all they're sure of so far is that it destroys tissue. we've got 10 milligrams.
4: Would you like to see it? Yes, I would.
2: Now, well, let me get the tongs. It's a radioactive mineral. Atoms break up, shoot out rays. Alpha, beta, gamma. You can't see the radiations, but it'll make that glass bottle fluoresce. Turn down the lamp and I'll show you. Now, that little capsule sending out energy that's so concentrated it'd take a thousand years before you'd notice any weakening in its power.
4: Look at the bottle. It's glowing, Ben. Gosh, it's almost frightening.
2: I can't sleep at night thinking about this stuff.
4: <laughs> Do you remember when you took the ammo nitrate in college? <laughs> it almost killed you.
2: I proved my point, didn't I?
4: Mm, you haven't changed very much.
2: I guess I haven't. But at least I know now what kind of a doctor I want to be. Not a general practitioner. Research. Well, I, uh, I better get to work.
4: Uh, Ben... That petition to have me removed, did everybody sign it?
2: No. No, not everybody.
4: Good night, Ben.
2: Good night, Emily.
0: Yes, the petition
2: had failed. But there was nothing to prevent Dr. Dunning from resigning. If, for example, her life at the hospital were made unbearable... Some of the doctors never stopped trying. Oh. Well, what's the matter, Bleeker? Don't you feel well? Splitting headache, and the night of all nights, ambulance duty. Well, if you don't feel well, don't go. Post Dunning. She's been on all day. It's not exactly fair, is it?
6: Nothing like a ride in the wagon to break down your resistance, eh, hey, Graham?
2: Just the right weather for it, too. It's pouring outside. If you pardon me, gentlemen, I'll pass the word to Dr. Dunning. so Emily stayed on the ambulance. Among the cases brought in was a man. He was carried into the emergency room. Well, Doctor?
4: I can't detect any pulse, Dr. Graham.
2: Oh, neither can I. You see, that's the phenomenon. When they stop breathing, their heart stops and they're dead.
4: Yes, I know, but just a moment ago in the ambulance, couldn't we try artificial respiration?
2: I understand your ambition to perform miracles, Dr. Dunning, but the rest
4: of us have work to do. What's the case, Doctor? Well, we found him down on Mott Street in a coma. No wounds, no contusions. Poisoning, chloral hydrate. You hear a heartbeat? I'm not sure. I think I do. Let's get him on the floor. Maybe you're right. Maybe with artificial respiration. We'll need help. Have you seen Dr. Barringer? He went out with Dr. Pauling, medical meeting. Then call the nurses home. Maybe some of the girls are off duty and... Oh, Lindsay, hurry. (laughs)
2: All right, Lindsay. Would you mind telling me what's going on here?
4: Dr. Pauling, I... Well, an emergency case, Doctor. Poisoning. He was dead an hour and a half ago, but he's alive now. Dr. Dunning and the nurses, sir, they're walking him up and down the corridors. We've given him coffee and stimulants. He's going to be all right.
2: And what's a newspaper reporter doing in my office?
4: Newspaper reporter?
2: Someone telephoned the newspaper. He wants a statement from Dr. Dunning. He wants a photograph. Dr. Dunning!
4: You don't have to shout, Dr. Pauling.
2: Would you please explain what a newspaper reporter is?
4: No, I won't explain. I'm not going to explain anything to anybody. I'm sick and tired of constantly being called on the carpet, treated like a child. Do you think I like doing triple duty for men who would give their right arms to get me out of here?
1: Now, just a moment. Do you
4: think it's pleasant to be shouted at every time I act on my own initiative? Well, I'm fed up with the whole thing, especially with you and your, your delusions of grandeur. Lindsay. Yes, doctor. Get the patient to a ward. I'll be in the dispensary.
2: Emily. Emily, Lindsay just told me what happened.
4: I never thought they'd beat me, Ben. But they have. I'm going to quit. Oh, no, you're not.
2: You're not going to give them that much satisfaction. Look, Emily. I've sort of been in this plot from the beginning. And I'm ashamed of it. You've been wonderful. And as far as the boss is concerned, Pauling can't bear a grudge for more than five minutes. Just don't let those hyenas suspect you even thought of quitting, even for a second. Just show them.
4: Hmm? All right, Ben. I'll try again.
2: How long has it been since you've had any fresh air?
4: Oh, I don't know.
2: When's your next Sunday off? Oh, I, I don't know,
4: the 15th, I guess.
2: All right, I'll switch mine. We've got a date at 9.30 that morning.
4: Dr. Dunning. Yes? Dr. Pauling wants to see you.
2: He's in the consultation room. Oh, thanks. Come in, Dr. Dunning. As you can see, I've called in several others, interns and nurses. And Alec here wants to tell you something.
7: Uh, it was all my fault, Doc. I, I did it. I called a friend of mine on the newspaper, I'm, I'm sorry. I had no right to.
2: That's all, Alec. Yes, Publicity can work a great disservice, Dr. Dunning, not only to you, but to the hospital. Of course, all this might have been avoided by a little more thorough diagnosis by Dr. Graham. Uh, yes, sir. But I want Dr. Dunning to know that if I have any delusions, they're not about a hospital's most important function. All that really matters is that a life has been saved. I appreciate what you've done.
4: Thank you, Dr. Pauline.
2: And now, if the rest of you don't mind, I'd like to be alone with Dr. Graham here for about 20 minutes. From then on, Dr. Dunning found Gouverneur Hospital a little more pleasant. I caught myself taking more and more notice of her and of how much of her spare time she spent with Ben Berenger.
4: Oh, I never knew that sun and sand and waves could be so wonderfully restful. Do something for me, Ben. Move the hospital to the seashore.
2: Speaking of the hospital, you going to the party?
4: What party? I haven't been invited.
2: Next Sunday, for Paulie. We're surprising him. His third year as medical director. I wonder how he'll take it. Why? Well, last year his wife was with him.
4: What was she like?
2: Oh, very fashionable. Lots of poise. Wonderful eyes. Nothing very real about her, though. She left him? Mm-hmm. As far as I know, he's never mentioned her again. Now, what about the party? I'm inviting him. Can I have the first dance?
4: <laughs> he'll probably get stuck with all of them. What are you going to wear? A dress. Why?
2: <laughs> I just want you to be beautiful. I want you to kill him.
4: Then I'll carry a gun. Say, Ben, how are you doing with your research? You've been awfully quiet about it.
2: Well, I, um... I've submitted a few reports. Applied for a fellowship. Ben! Don't get really? all excited, Em. Hundreds apply.
4: Where? Back at Harvard?
2: No. Uh, in France. University of Paris.
4: France. Oh, I I see. You want to go to Paris?
2: I want to learn about radium. Madame Curie's there.
4: Oh. Good luck, Ben.
2: Thanks. But I don't stand a chance. The party was a complete surprise. They held it on the roof of the hospital. Music, Japanese lanterns, grenadine punch, I... I had no idea they'd go to so much bother.
6: Prepare <laughs> a punch, Dr. Graham. Yes,
2: with peculiar
6: pathological effects
2: for Grenadine.
6: You mean you're just beginning to realize that Dunning's a woman?
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Well, if Berenger around, who else stands a chance? Yeah, she's
2: been dancing with Pauling. You might know she'd make a play for the boss, Had her hooks in him all evening. Hello, Emily. Dr. Pauling. Oh,
4: where have you been?
2: was oh, just checking the ward.
4: I thought you were never coming back.
2: Is this dance promise? Not yet. May I? Certainly. Certainly. It's a nice party, Ben.
4: I'm sorry about the first dance, Ben, but I couldn't very well refuse him.
2: Oh, of course not. Certainly surprising seeing these nurses out of uniform for a change. They almost look human. Um, read any good books lately?
4: You know, he'd never admit it, but I think he's just tickled to death with the party.
2: And Pauline?
4: Uh-huh.
2: Hard to know for sure what he thinks about anything.
4: He's a very lonely man, isn't he?
2: Emily, are you in love with him?
4: In love with him?
2: Well, don't get in such an uproar. I'm not going to knock his block off.
4: Oh, well, now, really, you're just being ridiculous. It's
2: a wonderful dance tune, isn't it?
4: Dr. Barringer, I'm sorry, doctor, but you're wanted in the ward again.
2: Thanks, Lindsay. See you later, Emily.
4: Oh, Yes.
2: Anything wrong?
4: No, no. No, I just got angry. What about? Nothing, really. It's, it's my own fault.
2: Blast punch? <laughs> Please. You're smiling now. What's so amusing?
4: Well, I was just thinking about the first time I came to see you. Your attitude was so forbidding and final.
2: It hasn't changed.
4: Oh, you're still against me.
2: Tonight more than ever.
4: Why? What have I done?
2: Oh, your dress, for instance. You ought to wear things like that all the time.
4: Well, thank you, but it's it's hardly practical for lugging a stretcher down a fire <laughs> ladder.
2: Oh, you're getting along very well, Emily. You have the one quality that most doctors would give anything to possess. I have? Mm-hmm. You just make people feel good so that they forget themselves, their troubles. Sometimes that means more than any medicine.
4: Then you do think I should be a doctor. I don't
2: know. All I know is that I'm... Dr. Beringer. What's he looking so grim about? You're wanted, Dr. Pauling. Uh-huh. Post surgery ward, two cases of typhoid.
4: Typhoid? Not
2: so loud. You sure? I'm sure. Don't say anything about this to anyone yet. You'd better come with us, Emily. Oh,
4: well, yes. Yes, of course I will.
0: 3 of the Hollywood Radio Theater will continue in just a few moments. Make a friend and you make an ally. There's a thought for you to keep in mind, as many another American has. In 1945, Lyle Hayden was sent to Iran by a privately financed organization to help the farmers with their agricultural problems. At first, they were listless and disinterested. But Hayden started a small demonstration farm to show them what could be done. He began to drill for the water he was sure lay beneath the villages. And when he hit it, his second-hand pump began pumping 15,000 gallons an hour. Well, now the Iranians welcomed his help. With their aid, he purified the water, removed the threat of malaria from the irrigation ditches, started a successful chicken breeding program. Then he opened a free school to teach the children reading and writing. And it was so successful that the Iranian minister of education asked him to organize his teaching methods in other villages. Hayden offered a teaching job to any young villager who who could learn to read and write. The successful ones came from his night school classes. As the months and years went by, Hayden continued educational and agricultural programs throughout the country. And today, what prosperity the peasant farmers of Iran enjoy can be attributed to the tireless work of Lyle Hayden, Who combined the best qualities of missionary and businessman to win the thanks of a grateful people? Once again, an unselfish American proved that by helping others, you help your country. We pause now for station identification.
1: curtain rises on Act Three of The Girl in White, starring June Ellison as Emily Dunning, with Steve Forrest as Ben Barringer.
2: The typhoid epidemic found us short of facilities, of rooms, of doctors, short of everything except the sick and dying. We appealed to the health department. They sent us two relief doctors. One of them was a woman. She arrived late at night.
4: Jody, what are you doing here, and at this hour? Hello, Emily. Doctor Pauling says I'm to share the room with you. You're going to help us. Hired hand, temporary substitute on the scrub team. But they didn't tell me. I didn't know myself till tonight. They sent for you. Well, not exactly for me, but they need doctors, so I asked for it. Oh, good. Now you take my bed, and tomorrow morning Don't I'll. Don't be silly. Besides, I'm not going to bed for hours. Are you on duty? No, I just came off. How about some coffee? I'd love it. I've just met some of your fellow inmates. I think you're bringing it off, Emily. They like you. <laughs> no, I can see you haven't met the supervising physician. Oh, uh, Dr. Graham? No, mm-hmm. not yet. Well, you wait here, Yodi. I'll go down and make some coffee. I won't be long.
2: Is that you, Ben? Don't you ever get any sleep? Probably more than you do, sir. Just can't keep away from the lab, can you? How's it going? Slow, Dr. Poling. Terribly slow. Discouraged. Uh, Well, don't rush things, Ben. You'll be learning a great deal about radium if that European fellowship comes through. I'm not discouraged, Dr. Poling. Just uncertain. You see, the fellowship has come through. The letter came today. They've accepted me. Well, congratulations. I'll wait, of course, until my term's finished here in May. Oh, it's a great opportunity, Ben. I, I could fix it so you could leave right away if you'd like. I'm not sure if I want to, sir. I haven't made up my mind yet. Oh, Ben, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who follow their dreams and those who don't. I didn't. Your career is a pretty good case for a non-dreamer, sir. Uh, My biggest donation to medicine is a chunk of my nervous system. Being a doctor can be pretty exciting, but most of my time is spent in meetings, talking to trustees, explaining things to people who don't know, who don't understand red tape, reports in triplicate, little irritations that pile up and smother me then every once in a while something comes along to pull me out. Like learning a new technique, trying new drugs, watching somebody fight a thing through, watching them develop, progress, particularly someone you respect and admire. Like Emily Dunning. What made you think of her? You're right, of course. People like Emily. People like you. Better get some sleep, then. And you? I will, as soon as I have a look at the ward. Good night.
4: Ben? Hi, oh, I thought so. Back with the guinea pigs. Hi. Would you like some fresh coffee? Thanks. I just made it for Dr. Yeomans. Did you know she was here?
2: I'm her assistant. Only she thinks she's mine. We had quite a talk before.
4: Oh, she didn't mention it.
2: She's a wonder, Em.
4: Hmm. Wouldn't it be fun to take her out for supper sometime? Maybe next week if this typhoid ever eases up. I'd
2: like to, but I don't think I'll be around. Why not? Well, I've been doing a little promoting lately. Finally managed to get my application approved. Look.
4: Oh, dear. It's in French.
2: With deep pleasure, we inform you that you've been awarded the Vignon Fellowship in Research at the University of Paris. And so forth.
4: Oh. Well, that's, that's wonderful, Ben. But it means you won't be here.
2: 3,000 miles. I could hardly commute. It says something else, Emily. In case the applicant is married, extra allowance and living quarters will be provided. Emily, I...
6: Ben, who's on surgery in the morning? You or Bleaker? Uh, Bleeker, I think. Pauling's got seven operations scheduled. Now, how will you ever keep some straight? Oh, don't leave, Dr. Dunning. I, I'm just... Oh, no.
4: No, I'm afraid I have to. Good night.
6: You know, I wouldn't want to say this to anyone but you, Ben, but I'm beginning to like
3: that girl.
4: Sorry I took so long, Yodi. Oh, the coffee smells wonderful. You know, I've always imagined what it would be like if I could get assigned to a hospital. After looking around here, I expect they're more comfortable and sing-sing. Just the same, it's wonderful. Dr. Pauling's quite a man, and I like Ben Barringer. He'll be a fine doctor someday. Mm Hmm? Oh. Well, what's the matter with you? Yodi. Yodi, have you ever been so mixed up you just didn't know what to do? Well, of course. Is it Ben? Oh, Emily, it can't be that serious. Uh, I just don't know what to do. A wise old nurse once told me that if you run into a problem and you don't know what to do, do nothing. Just wait. You'd be surprised how well it works. When the time comes, Emily, you'll know. But for heaven's sake, if you're sure he's the right man, don't let anything stop you. Don't wait and turn into a spinster like me. Dr. Emily Dunning, indeed.
2: The epidemic was waning. Three days passed without a single new case, and Ben Barringer made up his mind. He accepted my offer to leave at once for Paris. The staff said their goodbyes to Ben that night at dinner, and he went back to his ward for his last couple of hours.
4: I'll bet you haven't even packed yet now, have you, Ben?
2: No, there's still time, Dr. Yeomans.
4: You go upstairs and get yourself ready. Just tell the desk I've taken over. How's the ward? Oh, quiet. Then scoot.
2: Are you sure you're all right, Dr. Hillman?
4: Of course I am. Why?
2: Your color. You're pale.
4: Oh, so are you. It's this hospital nightlife. Uh, Ben. Yes? I've been wondering about that Paris fellowship. Certainly happened fast, didn't it?
2: Well, in a way, yes.
4: Did you expedite it by any chance? Oh, Ben. Aren't you giving up rather easily?
2: Look, you've known Emily a lot longer than I have. Can't you tell?
4: Tell what?
2: That she's in love with Pauling. And there's no bigger chump than a fellow who doesn't know when he's not wanted.
4: There's one worse. The noble type who stalks out. Oh,
3: go on. Pack your trunk.
2: Yes, Dr. Yeomans, as usual, was working overtime. About an hour later, Emily received a frantic call from one of the nurses. When she reached the ward, Dr. Yeomans was dead. There's nothing you can do, Emily. Would you uh, wait for me in my
3: office?
4: Yes. Yes, I'll wait. Dr. Dunning? Dr. Dunning? Oh, hello, Freddie. She isn't sick, is She... Dr. Yeomans hasn't caught typhoid. No, she isn't sick, Freddie. Just tired. I could tell. She was lifting me up on my pillow and then her eyes kind of blinked. She went over to that chair and then fell asleep. Yes, dear, she... She just fell asleep. Look, she liked this picture I drew. I drew it for Dr. Yeomans. I'll keep it for her, Freddie. I'm sure she'd like to have it. Now you try and go to sleep. Good night, Dr. Jennings. Good night, Freddie.
2: I just wanted to speak to you, Emily, just for a moment. I knew Dr. Yeoman's only a short time, but I. I feel as though I'd lost a friend.
4: It's all right, Dr. Pauling. We talked about it a long time ago. Her heart, it. It happened just the way she wanted it to. I I just can't help thinking about all those years she was a doctor. All that skill and knowledge, it's just wasted.
2: No, a doctor's knowledge is never wasted. Especially hers, because you've got it now. But it showed me how stupid I've been about women being doctors, about you in particular. I want to apologize for having been so narrow-minded, intolerant. And there's something else you've made me realize... That without an awareness of people, one's work is nothing.
4: I wonder if I haven't made the same mistake. You? Being a doctor is the most important thing in my life. But it isn't the only thing. I've lost something just as important in a a different way.
2: I think you'll find it, Emily.
4: I don't know. Good night. Good night, Dr. Pauline.
2: When she left my office, Ben was waiting for her in the hall. Emily? Ben. I've been looking all over for you. Anything wrong?
4: No. No, Ben, nothing.
2: What did Pauling want? Not that it's any of my business. But...
4: Is that why you're here, Ben? To ask that?
2: Oh, no. No. I'm sorry, Em.
4: You're leaving now?
2: Yes. There's a cab waiting for me. Em, yeah, uh, I I uh just couldn't go without saying goodbye. I mean, I know we said goodbye in the dining room, but...
4: You, uh, you have your tickets and everything?
2: Yes. Yes, I think I've got everything. Emily,
6: please, may I kiss you goodbye?
3: Oh,
4: Ben. And you will write to me.
2: Well, I'm not much of a letter writer, but I'll try. Say goodbye to Dr. Yeoman's for me, will you? I guess she's still on duty.
4: Yes. Yes, she is. Uh, you didn't leave too many things.
2: Well, I packed everything I could. The rest I gave to Bleeker and Schneider.
4: Ben, don't study too hard. Now, you try to have a little fun now and then.
2: Oh, I will. I will. I guess in Paris.
4: I love you, Ben. I always have.
2: Emily, I love you so much, I can't leave you.
4: Oh, you have to go. It's your work. I'll be here when you get back. Good luck, Dr. Barringer.
1: Good luck, Dr. Dunning. In a moment, our stars will return. But now here's Ken Carpenter. Ken?
0: Captain John J. Degnan had never seen the French city of Royan... except from the air. During World War II, our flying fortresses... were forced to destroy it almost entirely. It was during a critical time, the Battle of the Bulge... and Royan was a key point in the German supply line. But after the war, Captain Degnan got a bunch of his friends together... to help the people of Royan. Not long afterwards... 600 babies wore clothes collected by his group, as did more than a 1,000 schoolchildren. These clothes, possibly, are still being worn by other children in Royan. Such acts by you and your friends today are shaping our world of tomorrow. Now, Mr. Cummings with
1: our stars. And here is our lovely star, June Allison and Steve Forrest, coming forward for a certain call. June, how are the members of the Dick Powell family?
4: We're all fine, Irving. Dick's very busy these days. He
1: should be. Acting, directing, producing. Are you going to make a picture for him?
4: Remains to be seen.
1: Well, isn't that your latest picture for MGM, co-starring
2: Van Johnson?
4: Remains to be seen.
2: (laughs) I've already seen it. It's a wonderful comedy, June. You can not only see my latest picture, you can sing it. The theme song, that is.
4: Oh, yes. it's, It's MGM's new drama, Take the High Ground.
2: Yes, it stars Richard Widmark, Carl Malden. it's called Take the High Ground in honor of the ground forces of the Air Force. And they're adopting the march in the picture for their theme song.
1: I've heard it. And it'll be a great addition to our armed forces' music.
2: And, June, I hear you have quite a few additions in your family. A few
1: additions?
4: Oh, they're puppies, Irving. You see, (laughs) Richard taught little Pamela how to sing How Much Is That Doggy in the Window. Well, she sings it continually, so we have quite a few new puppies. (laughs) And now, Irving, what's for next week's show?
1: June, you won't want to miss the absorbing drama we've chosen. It's 20th Century Fox's recent screen hit, Lure of the Wilderness, a thrilling story of the swamp country. And starring in their original roles in one of the most unusual romances ever filmed will be Gene Peters and Jeffrey Hunter. We'll look forward to it, Irving. Good night.
4: Good night, Irving. Good
1: night, and thanks for a fine evening.
0: by Mr. Irving Cummings. Our orchestra is under the direction of Rudy Schrager. This is Ken Carpenter inviting you to join us next week at this same time for another presentation of the Hollywood Radio Theater. Radio Theater is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.